Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 458 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interviewed Jeff Kamozzi and Jacob Mann of Dratzy Games and asked them about the design and development of their SNES-inspired RPG, Alterium Shift. Now, I must admit, me saying SNES-inspired RPG is a lazy shorthand. I really shouldn't have done that, but it's shorthand because it works. It's when I say these phrases, these words, the images that immediately are put into one's mind are one of, you know, very brightly coloured, very richly detailed 2D sprite RPG from the late 1990s, or so you say, early 1990s. But Alterium Shift is a big shift, there you go, away from that. It's certainly draws from those those roots, but it's 30 years later, everyone. Things have changed, and there's visual um, tweaks, should I say, enhancements that Alterium Shift definitely boasts, and we do delve into that in this episode of The Sausage Factory, which I'm sure you want to listen to, don't you, rather than me monologuing about it. So let's do that, shall we? Chris! Take it away. Hello, Jacob and Jeff. Hi, Chris. Happy to be here. Hey, Chris. Could uh, you tell us who you are and what you do? Go ahead, Jacob. Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jacob. Uh, I'm the lead designer of Alterium Shift. And I'm Jeff. I am the lead developer on Alterium Shift, also the president of Dratzy Games, and I do all the back-end businessy stuff. Oh, Yes. A lot of spreadsheets. You'll be fine. A lot of spreadsheets <laughs> and documents, legal and contracts. And contracts and contracts upon contracts. But hey, someone's got to do it, sadly. Yep, someone's got to do it. So again, this will, we'll bounce between you, Jacob and Jeff. We'll just bounce between you on these next questions. Some of them will be collective, but some of them will be individual. And this next one will definitely be individual. So how did you make your start making video games, Jacob? 
Well, uh, I started actually with uh, RPG Maker um, way back in the day uh, on RPG Maker VX Ace. Around the time it came out, I learned about the program. Um, I had previous um, interest in making games with RPG Maker, but never really followed through. Um, so after that point, I spent many years just developing small games for the RPG Maker community and just building my skill over time. Okay, Jeff? <laughs> well, it's a, a very interesting question. I mean, my whole life I wanted to make video games. So throughout my life, I was trying to experiment with various tools. I started using HyperCard on a Mac, which is a very, very old uh, tool. Uh, if you talk about the real time I started making actual games, you know, fast forward to three years ago, right before the pandemic, I decided it was time I actually take some of my knowledge and apply it to making things. So I started using a tool called Smile Game Builder. I started learning Unity. I met Drash Ray in the Smile Game Builder community. And, you know, the rest is sort of history. But my, my whole life has been spent thinking about making video games, getting into technology, becoming a CTO, which is what I am now on the web, the web side of things. Um, and so finally, though, I'm actually working on making games. Dream come true. So this is next question is probably to both of you, because or maybe individual, but it's a bit nebulous. But I feel compelled to ask it. Can you tell us what do you believe are your biggest influences? Oh, these ones are easy, and our yeah. our influences are from uh, SNES games from the '90s, and for well, I'll let Drast speak about his. But for me, Chrono Trigger. Uh, Final Fantasy VI, I think at the time it was called Three when I grew up knowing it. Um, you know, Secret of Mana, Breath of Fire, all the games from that era. Those are the things that I wanted to make my whole life. So when Drash showed me an example that got that feeling but was more modern, that really stuck with me. Yeah, my my very first RPGs, you know, and it's it's hard to remember these because I was like five years old when I played Dragon Warrior on the NES <laughs> and um, Final Fantasy, the original Final Fantasy. But I think I really started getting into RPGs when in the SNES era um, and PlayStation one really grabbed me as as some of those first 3D, like the, mixing the 2D and the 3D together. That's really drives a lot of the visual inspiration that I have. You know, the the asset pack that we started with that J Jacob has built off of uh, was by an artist who was inspired by the similar era. So you're going to see a lot of that influence. Um, and then, you know, we kind of pull it all together into one cohesive experience. Cool. Well, we're going to delve into more of that in the second half of the show, but a little bit more about yourselves. And this is very much this next question is very much an individual one. Jacob, what video game developer do you admire most and why? Oh, jeez. Oh, my gosh. That's a loaded question. Because there's is. a lot, really. I mean, in reality... You can have more than one, by the way. So. Yeah, I mean, you could... I I would have to say it's Square Enix. I mean, that's it seems like a cop-out. But at the same time, um, those those games were the most memorable to my to my playing. Uh, Capcom captured me with, with Breath of Fire, right? So um, between those two companies, it's kind of hard hard to weigh them but i would say square Enix for sure is is probably the one that comes out in the front and <laughs> you know final fantasy 16's just come out um to positive reviews square. right yeah. right right well and that was squaresoft back then right exactly so, yeah yeah squaresoft yeah. Back then. indeed i remember that merger well amazingly i'm that old <laughs> <laughs> jeff yeah. 
Jeff, what was the developer you point at and go, you there, you carry on doing what you're doing? Well, I, I, I kind of have two answers. Um, similar to Jacob, when it comes to studios, uh, especially back from the SNES era, the Squaresoft games uh, or Square Enix, I didn't really know much about the history of them, but the games that they produced, I really liked at that time. Uh, but if I fast forward to now, to today, because now I'm more conversant with actual developers in the industry, there's a developer by the name of Wallaber. He was the original developer of Jelly Car. He's been in the industry forever. Um, and he is one of the people I admire the most, and I appreciate what he does, how he thinks through problems. He, I think, exemplifies what you know a professional game developer does and how they solve problems. It's a whole new learning experience. He's always been extremely helpful. He's helpful to the community. I just really admire what he brings to the table and what he brings with his games because he's, he's very thorough, thoughtful, makes solid games. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for it, and I want, I'd want i love for him to be more known um, as much as he already is, but he's amazing, and I just completely admire him. I look up to him. I want to be like him when I grow up. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Fantastic answers too, so thank you. Right, last question in the first half. Here we go. Jacob, what are you playing right now? Oh, uh, not a lot. <laughs> when, you're, when you become a, a a game developer, especially when uh, you're like me and you're doing it full time, um, it is a little tough to get some game time in. Uh, I'm playing. I want to play Final Fantasy 16, of course. Um, I started playing God of War Ragnarok, which is the the newest game I started, and I'm enjoying it very much so far. So, yeah, excellent. I I thoroughly enjoyed the, the God of War games, the new ones and the old ones. Actually, they were they had their place too. They're very yep. much, very much of their time when you go back. Oh boy! Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, what, what are you distracting yourself with away from your spreadsheets? <laughs> My spreadsheets. Um, well, you know, it's similar to what I just said previously about games, uh, Jelly Car World has, Worlds, the Wallaber game, has absorbed absorbed a lot of my time, even when I was working on Alterium Shift uh, on streaming. Um, that's one of the main games I've played a lot of. Haven't played a lot recently because we've done an early access launch. Lots of stuff going on there. Uh, otherwise, I play uh, games with my kids. So I play a game called Towerfall Ascension, which I love. And I've kind of convinced them to play with me. Uh, mm-hmm. As well as, you know, um, some of the other common Switch Mario games that they like to play. I have an SNES Classic and my son is really getting into it. So I'm showing him how to play Super Mario RPG, which is really fun. Um, but, you know, nothing that I'm playing extensively. I mean, my whole life right now is work during the day, work at night. You know, it's, it's all I do is work and spend time with my family. And they're remaking Super Mario RPG, aren't they? For, for reasons they Remastering are. it. Um, yes. uh, we in Europe have an interesting relationship with that game. It never arrived. Uh, but <laughs> then it didn't. But then eventually they released it on the Wii of all, all oh, platforms. Yeah. And then eventually they then, you know, so I did eventually manage to get to play it, but it's a good game. So, okay. Well, that's the end of the first half. Well done. You made it. Let's let's, uh, move on to the second half of the show. where We're going to be delving deep into Elterium Shift.
So, before we do delve deep into Alterium Shift, could you tell us what it is? I like to make Jacob answer these questions so we can practice. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, our um, Alterium Shift is a retro-inspired JRPG. It harkens back to the days of the SNS era, but also is inspired by games in the PS1 area and beyond. We just uh, love RPGs, and we wanted to represent our love for those in a game that we're creating. We liked the idea of having a two-world um, theme to our game, and that's where the shift part of our mechanic comes from. Exactly. It's enshrined in the, in the name. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to ask then, while Alterium Shift is a turn-based RPG, action mm-hmm. RPG, there are some real-time elements in the world and interactions with the groups and stuff. Um, first of all, how did these come about and uh, how did you find designing those interactions with normally, you know, in these RPGs, you're just wandering around and they're like basically people you interact with in a rather sort of, uh, so we say, sterile way, but that's not the case in Terrium Shift at all. It's uh, mm-hmm. you have a dynamic world to work within as well as when you're outside in the environment. So, yeah, can you talk us through that because I think it's a wonderful little touch. Yeah, you know, we were talking about this because it's sort of been our methodology from the beginning. I think that from what we understand, some people make games where they plan most of the game out from the beginning. They have the whole plot, they write the scripts, and then they build the mechanics around it. And we've been a little more organic with our approach. We started with not even knowing how well it would be received. So we we set out with a small scope game, but we built our ideas based on the concepts, the foundations that we wanted to uh, introduce. We wanted the notion of a living world where it felt like you were actually there. You can interact with most things. Things respond more than once. That feels like more real, like you're saying. It's less, you know, flat, like go from point A to point B and people say one thing over and over again. Uh, So we really like that notion. Uh, We like the idea that you can do things that you wouldn't expect in a classic SNES. Like, you know, you can't pick up chickens in a standard JRPG, maybe an ARPG. Um, you know, ARPGs have the ability to, to shoot things and attack enemies, but classic JRPGs don't. But we like the notion of that interactability because it feels more real. It feels like, oh, I can do that, whereas, you know, other games maybe you can't. And so we like the whole idea. And as we built onto the game, we built certain sections. We looked at it and said, well, we're going to need to put that mechanic in to make this fit together. It's very organic. I mean, the first example of the demo was fairly straightforward and then we got feedback and we had to go back and say you know what we got to change the characters behaviors we've got to add these mechanics to make it feel like it's unique because we wanted the unique storylines and so it just naturally evolved as we went which ties into some of the methodologies even looking forward at what we're doing nothing's off the table as long as we think we can implement it and it fits within the theme and the structure of the game but that's why those exist because every single time we said in order for this to feel right We've got to go back and, and tweak this. We've got to add this mechanic or else it won't feel like it hangs together as a cohesive game. A combat in Ulterium Shift does initially at least, follow uh, a similar pattern that most turn-based RPGs adopt. But there are aspects and components of it that are quite different and they've moved off, in, off, the, off the well-beaten path. Could you expand on what those are and how they came about, please? Well, um, 
on the surface, yes, it definitely feels very uh, simple. We added like a turn order display to help players uh, strategize ahead of time. Um, so that they can see a future turn and and plan those attacks accordingly. We do actually plan to uh, expand the battle a little bit more, like by adding like health bars for quality of life reasons, and and some other things. Uh, we have the burst ability, which is kind of like a limit break that you build up over time. Uh, that's already a feature in our early access. Combat has been one of the weaknesses of the game. We'll be completely transparent about that, and that's because we have so much game to build. We always knew combat would be something we need to focus on. We've saved that kind of for last. Uh, so we got a lot of feedback. Oh, it's too simple. It's too basic. We do have plans to enhance it. Things that, as Jacob was mentioning, uh, things we haven't even talked about, maybe even to help the mechanics and how it feels when you're fighting. We want you to feel just as real about battle as you do about exploring the world. Um, it just happens to be that at this point, we hadn't gone to our phases of development to improve it to the level we want to. So we got more, you know, more goodies coming and they'll be, you know, shown to people throughout the early access experience. Absolutely. And I think the term order is very important. Initiative order, <laughs> uh, if you want to use a D&D uh, phrase. That's what, you know, that's yeah. what I'm familiar with it. Um, oh, yep. when's this coming up? Oh, they're, they're coming up. It works for mm-hmm. a lot of tabletop RPGs do it. Uh, well, that, and- by the way, <laughs> just to add to that real quick, that the turn order thing is not something I was used to I was used to the queue up all the, the attacks and they go or the active time battle from Chrono Trigger. So it was a new concept that I thought was really intriguing. And so we really had to make sure we got that down right. And really, Jacob has been instrumental in designing that idea from his experiences. So you get that actual, I know who's coming next. I know how to make the choices of my battle. I want to talk about narr- narrative now and the story. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of a thread, I feel it's like I'm pulling on a thread here. And um, I'm not talking about that social networking thing either. Pulling on a thread, which is the emphasis on proving your worth in the, in, in the in not only to your peers, but to your mentors as well. That really seems to be the core of it. But you also have to maintain good and strong relationships with your friends. Otherwise, they're not going to, you know, back you up. They're going to be there for you. Um, I just want to know, how are you finding, maintaining that core? It may change. I fully appreciate that stories, the best ones do. The dynamics between the characters do change, and there's suddenly a a switch or something occurs that, you know, something breaks. That's fine. Mm -hmm. That's human nature. That's how we grow as people. I just want to know, how have you found making sure that that is still that core of it, that, that 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 seed, is still there when forging the story of of Tyrim Shift. Well, I'll I'll speak to that because um, while I'm also the developer and do the business stuff, I'm also the, the core story writer. Uh, Dras and I share that experience, but I've been driving the plot with the characters. Um, one of the things that we did from the start, though, and it still rings true to today. We started by defining the character's personality traits. We literally looked up personality traits and decided if we're going to make decisions as that character, here are the traits that they start with. Uh, we wrote their backstories so we know where they're coming from. And we know the, the direction of the story. So every time we get to a section and we look at like where the character should be in their growth cycle, uh, we, we consult that and nudge them forward. Because we want the characters to feel like they're growing, but the players are the ones that are directing some of that. They're the personal growth. 
Um, it is a very complicated system. You talk about technically managing lots of choices. So one of the things I'll be completely transparent about is not every choice has a significant impact on the game itself. So you're not going to have a situation like you're kind of describing where you say something and someone's mad at you forever. You know, one of the characters won't join your party or something. There might be some slight difference in how they respond to you later. Uh, we are toying with the idea for certain choices to have sort of a mini relationship management where later on they might just, they might be willing to give you something or not based upon how you treated them. Uh, but that's more adding flavor text. The living world means your choices matter in that they affect your experience, but they don't necessarily affect all the outcome. We don't want, otherwise I feel like people will get so hung up on that. They won't play the game. They'll be too concerned with what possible choices they can answer to get the optimal solution which just doesn't exist. We don't have an optimal path of different ways you can talk. Um, but we do want to make sure it feels like your choices create different outcomes. If you're mean to somebody, then they may not just, they may not talk to you later, right? There's a case where someone kicks you out of their house and you can't get back in because you did something they told you not to do. Um, but there's really more of the flavor text of it. And so how we maintain it for any critical decisions, we just track, we have a way of tracking the state of that. And then later we have a way of, reacting based on what was said or how it was said. I should also note that something that gets lost sometimes for people is each character's experience is unique. They go through their start, they go through their sort of their trial essentially, um, but they go through a different trial. They have a different way of being, you know, it's being experienced. So the mentor treats one character differently when they fail and another, you know, really harshly. Atlas, he treats nicely. Uh, Pyra, he's really hard on her. And that's intentional. But I should also note, we're learning not everybody reacts well to that. So we're trying to tweak that even because some people take it like, oh, they're being mean to me, Pyra. Why am I playing this game? People are being mean to me. And we have to make sure we, we are cognizant of the player as much as what the character's journey needs to be. And so we hit, we're trying to balance the ability to let the player choose, but still get them in the direction that we want. We don't want the player to feel forced to be mean as Sage, but Sage isn't always going to be nice. So we have to give them choices that are still within Sage's personality. So the last question, I know all good things must come to an end, but here we are. I can't really go over asking this, but the visual styling or the visual concept of the, the palette of what you've created, the artistry, so to speak, uh, of Ulterium Shift is likened by many to the 16-bit era we mentioned earlier. The snares and the Vega Drive and the you know the Amiga etc. Uh, but in reality, it's not. It's a hybrid between two D and three D. You have this popping out, yep. and I want you to expand on how you developed it and how you've maintained it, and how you kept with the ethos of this. Kind of looks like what you remember these games to be, but in reality, we're using twenty first century technology here. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so uh a lot of that actually starts with me um i decided i i was interested in developing these types of games that shortly after um octopath traveler came out um it did inspire me um because you know previous games have done it before on the playstation and and other things like that um octopath traveler stood out because it just reignited that that nostalgia in me right um so uh there are things that i love about octobat traveler and there are things that i i personally would like to change about the visual style and one of those things was keeping the camera tight 
like we do so that there's not a huge wide view, which, you know, in classic games, it kind of was that way. And that's how we kind of keep the illusion of, of the 2D graphics there uh, and keeping the pixel art um, in the foremost of the image, right? So the pixel art is what's really shining. The 3D is more of a, it complements the image, right? It, it doesn't take away from it. Um, right. We wanted the 3D to become a an, an element of depth, not um, something that would, you know, you're like, oh, well, this is obviously super 3D and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we, to balance those two things, that's what we, you know, I did. I created that camera angle to, it's still top down mostly, um, and uh, kept the camera angle tight just to maintain that that pixel art quality. And I'd like to add, I'm not the mastermind behind the visuals. This is all uh, Jacob's responsibility. He's the one that <laughs> pulled me into this by showing me this beautiful example that's only gotten better over time. But what I can say is that it reinforces everything we do with this game. We are bringing in modern technologies, but we always try to put it through the lens of how much does this feel like what a classic game would be. And if we're going to do something different, like add a 3D element, because there are some monsters that are three-dimensional, it's intentional. Mm-hmm. We're not just throwing them in there. It, it's almost you know, tied into the lore of the game. Um, and that's the whole idea of the Alterium shift, right? You look at something that looks like what you would expect as normal, and then there's a shift of those expectations and perceptions. And we, we, we interweave that everywhere, not just within right. the visual, but also the story. Uh, the visual happens to be the thing that I think pulls people into the game because at first you look and say, that looks like a 2D game. And then you look close, like, wait a minute. But there's like just something about it that makes it look a little bit more crisp and sharp. It's like high fidelity 2D. That's what I, I, I told Drass the first, or Jacob the first time I saw it was, it's like high fidelity classic NES games. Uh, and it just, it's really stuck with us through the entirety of the, the game development. I think also it's interesting you haven't mentioned it, but the animation mm-hmm. that's that's the frames. But that's the, right. So many. Because you can. You know, it's just yeah. like Oh yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can have all yeah. sorts of so, things yeah. we're moving. Not, it's we're fine. not limited to like four frames for an animation or six frames for an we yeah. yeah, some of our animations are eight to twenty-four. I mean it's limitless because we have that technology, right? So we do yeah. we do yeah. uh take advantage of that for sure. And, and uh, Jacob is really good when we're trying to do something in the scene. We say we need a reaction from a character like this. He said, OK, and he goes and adds a reaction to it. So we have the ability to, as we go, enhance those animations, add new ones, create more expressiveness with the characters. I mean, going back to one of the questions you had asked earlier about um, how we kind of make the game feel living. We try to make the characters themselves react. There's not just a scene where five people stand around and all you read is dialogue. We make the characters act out what happens. And just like Chrono Trigger, they'll make surprise faces or they'll laugh or whatever. It's really important to us to tie that whole feel together with the 2D and the classic look. Wow, you invoked the master of it all, Chrono Trigger. Wow. <laughs> That's my main inspiration. So. Yeah, well, rightly so. Rightly so. Please don't. I'm not criticizing <laughs> it. So. Yeah, another game that didn't make it to Europe. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> You guys Shocking. have been starved for yeah. quality classic games. Maybe because of the number of languages we have. I think that's really why that happened. The, mm-hmm. yeah, localization was, uh, you know, it was a big ask, but uh, they did eventually release it in DS. So you know, but uh, <laughs> that's the only version I've actually played. That's not true. I did get it import. Sorry, but there it is. Uh, <laughs> um, so 
Ulterium Shift has been developed by Draxy Games. I think I can guess where that name come from, but can you sort of expand a little bit more? <laughs> it's not very complicated. It's not. Uh, my online name is Matsi, and his online name is Drash Ray. Uh, we just needed a name. It's funny how that happens, but we just threw it together. Um, at the time, we didn't know where we would go with things, and it was easier to just not get hung up about what the name would be. So yeah. if you're at your games, there you are. There it is. And it's published by Gravity Game Arise. Mm-hmm. And could you tell us uh, what platforms it's available on? It's currently available on PC platforms and works on Steam Deck as well. So uh, Windows, Mac, Linux. Um, we do plan to release on the Switch. That's the one thing that is fully announced. Um, I will say we have other development kits in our um basements or wherever we're storing them uh we just haven't cracked them open yet because early access uh so we will be looking to get build working on those and we'll have more announcements in the near future excellent thank you thank you for that Mm -hmm. well jacob and jeff it's been wonderful having you on the show genuinely yes it's very nice to meet you chris you've been uh very open and honest about the creation of ulterior shift and i certainly look forward to the 1.0 release which will be you know, it will come around far sooner than you realise. Trust me. You uh, yes. a blink and they're like, wait, we've done it? Yep. <laughs> we're uh, there, finally. We're there. <laughs> we're there. But uh, when you do have another title in your brains, uh, you're more than welcome to come back and talk about it on this show. We we'll will be, be here. Yeah. We're happy to. Uh, Chris, might I ask, are we okay to say one final statement for people By all that means. might be watching? Um, one thing we want to emphasize for people this is early access game we have now full launch is coming in the future but we encourage people if they're interested in this game to try the demo the demo is the full game it just cuts off after act one we've gotten some feedback of course there are bugs Uh, Jacob and I are working night and day to try and get ahead of those but we want to make sure everyone understands we are open and welcome to feedback we love it we want to work with you um, and we'd absolutely love to hear what people think about even the demo. Um, check it out because if you're going to make a purchase for early access, you got to know that it's it's a journey, and we're partnering with you to make it better. But you know, I know it costs some money, so don't pay for the game yet until you try the demo. And then if you do get early access, come let us know. Got problems? We'll get them solved. We'll make a link to the, the, the website for the, for the game for for Ulterium Shift, so people can do that and link to the store page as well, just to make sure that people understand it and the demo um, for that feedback. So, uh, awesome. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, well, like I said, it's been great having you on the show. And uh, But until you do come back, and I hope you will, then, uh, yeah, thanks very much. Well, thank you, Chris. Yes, take care, Chris. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com.